You're listening to the Sports Brothers Podcast by Sam and Brian Dostal. Everything sports, all the time. everybody you're gonna have some up and down some emotions high and low good days and bad days and one of the great things about sports is those emotions can come out of you during the heat of a moment you look at some of the great games uh, for instance the Super Bowl this past year Patriots and the Seahawks you look at game six of the 2000 11 World Series between the Cardinals and the Rangers when David Fries was one strike away from losing the World Series but comes out on top with that clutch hit. Well, now flash forward to 2015 and the United States Open Championship at Chambers Bay, and there was nothing but drama. Jordan Spieth seems like he had it in the wraps after an eagle on the 13th hole. Then he goes birdie, double bogey on 17, finishes with a birdie. And then Sam, Dustin Johnson, goes par, birdie, three putts on par, just really explaining, uh, picturing, describing the highs and lows emotions of sports in the game of golf. Yeah, I mean, it was a well, – we were recording this on Sunday night, Father's Day, about 20 minutes after the conclusion of the U.S. Open, and – it was a wild finish at a weird course, but more on that later. And, man, you got to feel for Dustin Johnson. Hit an unbelievable uh, tee shot. Piped it down the fairway. Had a short shot into a par 5, a 601 par 5. By short, I mean relatively short. Uh, put it within 12 and a half feet. Had a putt to win, an eagle to win. So you know he's thinking win. And then, boy, he just, you could see as soon as he hit it that he tugged it just a little bit. Missed it, ended up with a par, and the emotions of golf. And uh, we'll talk about Jordan Spieth because second major in a row. But Johnson, he's given away some majors at the end now. Uh, had the lead at, at uh, the U.S. Open at the at Pebble Beach in 2010, uh, Whistling Straits in 2010, the PGA Championship had a British Open in his fingertips, and then lost it on the back nine a few years back. So he's been right there. He might be, Brian, I, maybe right now, the best golfer that's never won uh, a major championship. And he probably hasn't won nearly as much as he should have throughout his career with all the talent that he has. You were listening to the Sports Brothers Podcast with Sam and Brian Dostler. And as Sam mentioned, we are recording this Sunday night. It is 10.45 p.m. Eastern time on this June 21st, first day of summer. Yeah. It's all downhill from now. Days yeah. just keep getting shorter. Just keep it shorter. It's one way to look at it. <laughs> Is that a bad way to look at it? Way to go. All right. Uh, so you started the Connecticut Tigers, Sam. Yeah. How's it going the first couple of days? Yeah. All right. All right. We're th- we got through it. One and two. They one and two. They won one nothing today. Not right. a whole lot of offense coming from well either team really, uh, but definitely the Connecticut Tigers. I did though. Uh, pick up two new Twitter followers over the weekend, Brian. 
uh, Aristotle quotes and Socrates quotes. Has nothing to do with the Connecticut Tigers. No, it doesn't, but I just thought oh. that was a little interesting. Oh, I thought it was going to – it sounded like that was going to be something like no, someone listened was... to you when they said, oh, he sounds good, let me follow my no, Twitter. No, but that, wouldn't you think that's what it would be? Yeah. But instead it's Aristotle quotes and Socrates quotes. I haven't followed them back, though. <laughs> I'm not part of Team Followback. I'm, I'm usually not either. If, if, if I want to, then I will, but otherwise – of course, you're listening to this episode off NicoEmpire.com. A new episode will be going up today. Technically, again, we're uh, recording this on Sunday, but this will be put up on Monday morning. So make sure you check out Nico's new episode. And also, Sam, before we talk about more in depth about the U.S. Open, uh, we're going to have a new segment in, the ne- in uh, our next show. We're going to take a bus tour, if you will, of seven major cities across the United States and Sam and I, we're going to talk about, debate about uh, the top athletes from each of those cities. It's a pretty cool segment that I think is it's going to be really fun to do. And it was long story short, but Spencer Davis, Chad Wells, and myself, we were uh, coming back from mini golf a couple nights ago, and Spencer Davis brought the question. He said, Brian, who do you think is the best Bostonian ever? So we brought up different names, and it's cool comparing. Uh, Paul not- Revere. Hmm? Paul Revere. Paul Revere, yep. He was, he was pretty good. Samuel Adams, did you see him in that? They had that little show on the Sons of Anarchy. Guy was like freaking pulling himself up buildings. It was like Samuel Adams' super strength. There you go. He sounds like he was the man. <laughs> he was running across rooftops in Boston, somersaulting across roofs. I never knew the guy who made the bear could do that. Anyways. Before, hold on. If Actually, I never, never mind. I won't say that. I'll actually tell you on the podcast. Um. So, yeah, cool thing that we're going to do. Uh, so we're basically going to go, we said Boston, New York, Washington, Los Angeles, D.C., uh, Chicago. Chicago. I'm trying to think, what were the others? Did we write these down? I, I have them in, oh, I, I delete our text messages. You you have them on our text. I do. Um, yeah. And, uh, and mentioned that there's seven cities. Well, the eighth and final stop, we're going to discuss. Because we're from Connecticut. Because we're from Connecticut, the top athlete from the state of Connecticut. So we're pretty excited about it. That's going to be starting next podcast, which will be after Thursday, after the NBA draft, probably over the weekend at some point. Uh, so look out for that. And and more on that, we're saying that whoever our top athlete is, we're going to have a uh, like a tournament style. Yeah, we'll, we'll try to figure something out where we can get the uh... – the top athlete from our, our, I guess it'll probably end up being a summer discussion. Yeah. Uh, maybe it'll trickle into the fall, depending on how things every, how things uh, shake out. Mm-hmm. But eventually, we'll uh, we'll get there with a uh, an overall champion. More on that later. Stay More. tuned. Stay tuned. Yeah, gotta tease the audience. Right. Oh, yeah. That's what it's all about. All right. So for today, we mentioned we're gonna talk about the U.S. Open and the NBA draft, which will be on Thursday night at seven o'clock, and then we're gonna talk about a little NBA. Uh, non-NBA draft stuff. We didn't mention Lance Stevenson trade last podcast. We'll talk about that. Uh, then it's going to be my confessions corner. Max Scherzer, he threw no hitter. Controversy over that. And then uh, we'll talk about Alex Rodriguez getting his 3,000th career hit and what that means. And then we'll finish off the show with Stump the Bro uh, to conclude this June 21st podcast. It's our ninth show of the summer. And, Sam, let's get right to it. Jordan Spieth, just a few moments ago, he won the 115th U.S. Open at Chambers Bay. But talk about Spieth and how he played uh, this week. Well, it was he certainly didn't have his A game, and uh, I think that was summarized by his play down the stretch. 
just watching the replays now, unbelievable putt on 16, uh, probably four or five foot of break, uh, a big left to right, and he knocked it down. And then he goes to 17, pushes his tee shot right, ends up with a double bogey after he misses a short putt for bogey, and then comes right back on 18, hit, hits a great fairway medal, uh, two putts for the birdie, and he didn't have his best stuff. Really quirky course, kind of a big miniature golf course feel to Chambers Bay. Hopefully I never have to watch Chambers Bay on TV again. Um, but on a course where I don't think any of the players really ever figured it out, uh, Spieth figured it out the best. Um, and then, of course, got some help from Dustin Johnson on that 18th hole. Because something that I said as we were watching the, the final uh, holes pan out was that uh, the – Good shots weren't necessarily rewarded. No, they there was, weren't. There was times where uh, Spieth on that on that par three, I forget what hole it was. Uh, Somewhere he, in the backside, 14 or 15. He put it 10, 10 feet from the hole, and then it just kept rolling and rolling. It went off the green. And if you can even call these greens, right? I mean, these – it's not – it's not – it doesn't even – the country club is better looking greens than, the, the, than Chambers the Bay. The 15th is the hole you're referring to, 15, looking at yeah. the scorecard. Uh, fortunately, I didn't get to watch as closely as I usually would uh, when I'm watching a major because of the work with the Connecticut Tigers this weekend. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's just a, a funky course. It, it doesn't sit well with the eye. Uh, the pins are just in wacky locations. Uh, just kind of what I thought summed it up, Brendan Grace, on the 18th hole – was just short of the green on the par five. It was playing as a par five. There was a question, are they going to play it as a four or a five on the final day? And he just whacks this putt because he knows it's going to hit the backstop and come back. It's like, it's like I don't know, it's just strange. It's a, it's a really strange setup. And um, certainly for me, watching it this weekend, it's not a course that I'm saying like, because it is a public course. It's not a course where I'm saying, whew, I want to get out there and play it. Um, it's expensive to begin with, and uh, I don't know that no it's uh, worth my money. Jordan Spieth, not even 22 years young, still only 21, yet he has two major tournament victories. He won the Masters early this year, and now the U.S. Open. And, Sam, the sky is the limit for this kid. It really is, and uh, one thing I'm getting really annoyed with hearing is uh, all the golf people say, well, he doesn't do anything that well. Obviously he does. I mean – he hits the putts when he needs to. He drives the ball straight. Uh, just He has the all-around game. I don't know how much he has to do for people to say he does everything well. Yes, he does it consistently, and it might not be as showy. He, he's not going to drive the ball as far as a Dustin Johnson or a Bubba Watson. Uh, he might not have the spectacular short game that Tiger Woods had in his prime or Phil Mickelson had in his prime, uh, but he just collectively does everything so well, so strongly, that – his he, it it just blows my mind that they keep saying uh, this and that or this and this other thing isn't as strong as it could be when I mean clearly it is based I mean it's all about results. We've talked about the collapse of Dustin Johnson. We've talked about the winner Jordan Spieth. How about Jason Day, Sam? This is a guy that suffered through vertigo over the weekend uh, yesterday and and Friday and his caddy. Uh, Colin Swatton actually told him three different times, saying, "No, you're staying on this course. You're gonna gut, you're gonna gut it out. I don't care how much pain you're in." And and he put up a heck of a performance. Fell short on Sunday, but yesterday on Saturday he played a heck of a round. 
He did. And, and, I mean, the round on Saturday was just so phenomenal because of how he came back in it, right? He was uh, – he started that round very poorly, was over par, then was able to bring it back and really put himself into contention. If he were to have won this tournament – uh, I think that would have been one of the all-time great wins, not only in golf, but in every sport. Because you know, you hear so much about the Ken Ventura win at the U.S. Open, and he was dealing with heat exhaustion, 36 holes in the final day of that U.S. Open. Uh, this one would have been right up there in that category. Tiger Woods in 2008. Uh, this I, Tiger, yeah, that Tiger one, but this one maybe even more so because at least Tiger. I know the strain you put on your leg when you swing. But Jason Day couldn't even see straight at times. You know, he's dealing with spells of dizziness. He collapsed to the. I, I firmly believe when he collapsed on Friday and was down for the count, if it had been, say, the 10th hole of his round, he would have pulled out of the tournament. But because it was his final hole, uh, he was able to finish. And, and really, what he did yesterday was, was one of the great performances uh, that you'll really ever see a 68 uh, for him. And. Uh, just a, a really strong finish for Jason Day. That 68, a 31 on the backside after going out and two over. Phenomenal stuff. And he's supposed to play here um, in Cromwell at the Travelers next week. I don't think that's going to happen. Travelers Championship, they have a lot of momentum after this U.S. Open, uh, and in part because, you know, I, I've been a big advocate that golf needs – a guy, you know, that was Tiger Woods, Sam, he shot 13 over, didn't make the cut, wasn't even close, he looked, uh, played poorly, I mean, there's, there's no way two rounds about it, uh, but the emergence of Jordan Spieth there, Sam, just 21 years old, if he can start winning some tournaments and get, you know, get to seven, eight, nine, double digit, uh, major title victories, then I think golf, again, once again, can really take off, because it's not going to be you know, oh, is, is Tiger in the mix on Sunday? It's going to be Jordan Spieth, and what sh what great shot, what greatness is he going to showcase well, next? Well, not only Jordan Spieth, but, of course, I think you mentioned him, Rory. Uh, I mean, th this this is a making of, of the next great rivalry, although Rory hasn't really been in the mix in the two majors this year. He's kind of backdoored his way into good finishes, but that's kind of what we saw at the beginning of last year for Rory, and then he went on that unbelievable run in the summer, winning the final two majors. Uh, Spieth and Rory holding both of the majors. And, and the Travelers, I, I think you're right, they they do feed off the momentum from the U.S. Open. Um, they do a great job with it. They they have a jet that brings players over if they choose uh, to Cromwell that the players can take. And uh, even if Jason Day doesn't show up next week, still a really good field. Keegan Bradley, Luke Donald, who's trying to regain his form, Paul Casey, Ernie L, Sergio, uh, Zach Johnson, Hunter Mahan, uh, Bubba, well, I'm not a fan of, but he's back. A big crowd favorite, Brent Snedeker. A really good field, and uh, the field keeps seemingly getting better and better every year uh, at the tournament in Cromwell. I don't think I'm going to be able to keep my uh, streak going, though. I've been there every year since 1999. This is probably more traveler's talk than you were looking for. No, I'm – hey, this is – It's literally my favorite weekend of the summer, and I'm, I'm going to miss it. I'm going to try to sneak out there for like an hour on Sunday. I mentioned already that Spieth has – won the first two majors this year, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> um, sorry, TV's uh, distracting us. Anyways, this is now the news. This is no longer the the coverage of the U.S. Open. The two people that Fox Connecticut has on right there. <laughs> Anyways. Anyways, uh, do you think that Jordan Spieth will complete 
the Grand Slam in one year? Um, I, I don't know. Uh, probably not. Just so tough, and there's a lot of really good golfers out there right because now. Because last week you said that one golfer in particular would do so. Take a listen to last po- last week's podcast. I can tell you one thing, though. I guarantee a Phil Mickelson victory at the U.S. Open. You guarantee week. it. I guarantee it. Wow. This is the week. It's happening. I am fired up for it to happen. For I'll be all... done with my game on Sunday. I'll be back in front of the TV, and it'll be an emotional victory for Phil Mickelson and his loyal legion of fans. On Father's, Me included. On Father's Day. Unfortunately, on Fox Sports. Yeah. For golf fans, that's unfortunate. But that will not take away from Phil completing the career Grand Slam. It's happening. Well, Sam, is there anything that you have to say after uh, that statement last week? Um, well, Phil did not win. He actually played pretty poorly. He had my hopes up after day one. I was all fired up, one under. Uh, then... Well, it was an emotional weekend. You got that part right. It just wasn't for Phil, for Phil Mickelson. No, it was, it was, it was a great finish. But then yeah. Phil went 69-74, 77-73. So, uh, yeah, about that. Um, I got a couple things right, though. I said my game would be over. I'd be back on the couch. And I said, unfortunately, on Fox. And I think Fox flunked. So, three of the four? Just missed the big one. Yeah, I missed the one that I. You got a couple guys on base, but you didn't bring them in. And boy, boy, did it! You know, Fox. I don't know how closely you watched throughout the week, but it felt like they just showed the same guys, like on Thursday and Friday, rather than showing everybody on the course. I didn't even know that Jimmy Walker and Zach Johnson were playing as a group until uh, Tiger Woods and and the and Ricky Fowler and those groups finished. I mean, you got to bounce around to different golfers. You got to get everybody in. There were some things that I did like. I didn't watch it as closely as you would normally uh but i will say that i you didn't like this but i like the leaderboard always there i understand it didn't change but see they show it frequently so, enough on the other channels i that like you having don't need a, it there. i have a, i like having it right there because usually when i'm watching golf this me personally i'm not watching it like like i would for any other sport because i'm not i'm not that tuned into it so right. i like you i like were sitting reminder. here you were we were sitting watching golf for an hour and you said, oh, Adam Scott shot a 64. And I said, yeah, Brian, I that's been there since I got home. And I did I did like uh, the putts when they had the measurement. Nah. I like that. Wait, what do you mean the measurement? Like They had like the 12 feet, oh, that, 3 inches. They're not the only ones that do that. I don't know. There was, there was some perks to it. Uh, I've, you know, Fox, it's not NBC. A which, lot of commercials. A lot of commercials, yeah. And by the way, if. For those that couldn't tell, the reason the song that we played in the opening uh, was the with the NBC uh, U.S. Open theme song. So that was Sam's way of getting at Fox Sports by. Uh, How about Joe Buck when they started the the coverage at the beginning of this week, taking a, a shot at Johnny Miller, uh, Johnny Miller, the NBC uh, anchor or uh, color commentator, lead analyst, uh, said that uh, when. Fox got the – when Fox was rewarded the U.S. Open, he said, you can't just fall out of a tree and broadcast the U.S. Open. So Joe Miller – or Joe Buck, when they opened up on Thursday, goes, falling out of a tree and onto your TV. So a little shot at Johnny Miller there. and um, Joe Buck might have taken the shot, but I think Johnny Miller was right. There is a lot of truth to that. Absolutely. All right, let's head to the basketball court. 
And Sam, this is definitely by far our favorite draft of the two drafts that are covered on ESPN uh, like that. It's the NBA draft. It's going to be happening this Thursday and just a couple days away at the Barclays Center. First pick will be around 7 o'clock. And Sam, right now the Minnesota Timberwolves are on the clock. Uh, so let's just kind of give our predictions as we go along. Just a reminder, the top five picks go as Timberwolves at one, Lakers at two, 76ers at three, New York Knicks at four, Orlando Magic at five. So basically, you know, it, it's it's either Towns or Jalil Okafor. And I think they're going to go with Towns uh, just because – he provides a little more versatility, and especially in – there's still a place for big men, for true big men, but it's more of an athletic game now, and Carl Anthony Towns is a bit more like that. He can step away from the basket, can put the ball on the floor a little bit, and still gives you that inside presence, rebounding, shot blocking, and the ability to bang with the big boys uh, down low. Personally, my favorite player in the draft is Julio Okafor but I think they're going to go with Carl Anthony Towns. And Minnesota now, Brian, that'll make three consecutive number one picks on their roster. Good for them. Anthony <laughs> Bennett, who probably won't be great, but then you got Andrew Wiggins and then probably Carl Anthony Towns. So they're starting to build something up there in Minnesota. Uh, <laughs> starting to look like that they won that trade, depend, regardless of what Kevin Love uh does with Cleveland not to get too far off track because he probably wasn't going to stay around anyways after this year. So to get a guy like Wiggins that they're able to build around, just huge. So that would leave Okafor going to the Lakers in your opinion. And, uh, you know, I've said this before on, on an earlier podcast. I think Towns is a better fit in Los Angeles than Okafor would be just because they have Julius Randle, who's already a, a traditional uh He's basket. a little bit different. He's a bit of a face-up guy, but that was more in college. You'd have to imagine in the NBA he's going to be more back-to-the-basket type. Uh, and as you mentioned, just the, the the flexibility and athleticism of Towns. Uh, with with Wiggins, that's... I, I love Okafor, though. A lot of it has to do with watching him play a couple times in high school, but his footwork and... Uh, one of my favorite things, and I'm not saying that Carl Anthony Towns does it, doesn't do this, but I noticed numerous times throughout the course of his season at Duke, that when a teammate would do something spectacular, make a big play, big pass, whatever it is, he would just get he would get as excited, if not more excited, than when he did something, which I loved. What about D'Angelo Russell? Where do you think he's going to fall? I, I don't think he goes farther than, than top five, and uh, I think a good landing place for him would be Philadelphia. Uh, they need a guard. They need a lead guard. They traded away Michael Carter-Williams. I think D'Angelo Russell can be better than Michael Carter-Williams. And they've already taken uh, a handful of bigs the last few years. Um, Nerlens Noel, Joel Embiid, and there's questions if he'll even be able to play next year. Now. I know. That's uh, unbelievable. So uh, I don't know how well this Philadelphia plan <laughs> is working out. Um, but they need a guard. They need someone who can uh, be a point guard for them for the long term. And, and Russell, I mean, he's a pure scorer. He, he, he just looks so comfortable with the basketball. Lefty, he's going to be he's going to be a good NBA player. Better had a really good freshman year in college, uh, but when you get this guy out in the open court, the more free flowing game of the NBA, he's going to be even better. He's going to flourish. The New York Knicks, Sam, they have the fourth overall pick. That is their only pick of this draft, so they need to pick wisely. Uh, but do you see them potentially trading this pick to maybe get more picks uh, in in this draft? Well, because as we know, I mean the story's been written already. The Knicks they got you know 
just boned with, with this uh, fourth overall pick. Uh, but what do you think they do with it? Um, it's hard. Can you really put a finger on what the Knicks are going to do? I mean, you never know. Uh, although they do have Phil Jackson in there now. I've been seeing Moutier, um, Emmanuel Moutier, the guy he played over overseas after not being able to play at SMU. Uh, I think they could go a, a number of different directions with this pick, so I, I'm not really sure what way they're going to go. How about the Celtics? They got four picks, two first-rounders, two second-rounders. Uh, you, they're going to be heard uh, often on this draft. Did you see that they're having? They had tr- some trouble getting players to come in and work out for them. Really? Yeah, pre-draft because there was talk of you know they want to with all those draft picks talk about them trying to move up higher in the draft, but I'm not sure that they were really well. I mean, still we'll see, but maybe not as willing because some of the guys wouldn't come out and work out for them pre-draft, so it changed their thought process. I don't know. Uh, interesting, but uh, I think the Celtics. This is the type of draft because you remember when they got good really quick. Uh, of course, they didn't have they don't have anyone like Paul Pierce on their team right now, but they got good very quickly and won that championship. Uh, this is the type of year where they can start where they can make some moves and maybe uh, get a good nice player in the draft and also maybe pick up a, a very good veteran player. Give me a sleeper pick. A sleeper Ryan Boat right now. <laughs> um. I like Sam Decker. I uh, seen him a lot in the middle of the draft. Uh, I think he's. I think he can have a successful NBA career. I think he's a similar player to, to uh, Chandler Parsons. Uh, they okay. both stretch Good the floor. Comparison. They both have that athletic ability. Both uh, white shooters. <laughs> both white shooters. <laughs> I know you didn't want to say it, so I said it for you. Yeah, I was thinking it in my head. Um, can I? Should I compare him? He's like a Corey Brewer type too. Yeah. Uh, hustle players, uh, all that same build. You do you have a sleeper? Frank Kaminsky. I think he. Yeah. If, if he goes, he was to, the other guy to, I was going to go with. Two Wisconsin guys. Go figure. Uh, he's a guy that I think could go in like 10, 11, 12. And if he's around at thirteen with the Oklahoma City Thunder, I think that's a very, very intriguing pick there. Uh, because of course you got Serge Ibaka, you have Steve Adams, but then. You also had Mitch McGarry, but then you had Frank Kaminsky, and you got a pretty young uh, front court with Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. Yeah, uh, well, of course, you got to see if they're healthy um, first, especially Durant. Another guy I really like in this draft, Joe Young. Brian. Joseph Young, yeah, yeah, from Oregon. From Oregon, uh, a guy who he's older. He's a redshirt senior, so um, a little bit older than some of the guys uh that are going to be in this draft, but uh, Pac-12 player of the year this past year, first teamer, and he—I mean—he's a dude who can fill it up. He can—he can really—he can, really, can really put the ball in the bucket. No, almost 20 points per game this year, 19.9, uh, and you know he had his Oregon Ducks right there with Wisconsin late in that third round game this year. So he's another guy who I think uh, could make an impact at the NBA level. Is there any player that you thought? that you felt that should not have declared for this draft? Half the Kentucky players that declared? Oh, other, yeah. Um, Brandon Ashley as well. He's listed as a, a lot of places have him going second round. You see uh, Andrew Harrison in there as a second rounder. Um, the list just, just goes on, on and on. I think, um, well, uh, what's his name from Duke? The guard. Tyus Jones. Tyus Jones, who I, I think is a really good player, but it's just like, why? Why do you need to rush into it? 
uh, develop some more. Uh, and plus, I really enjoyed watching him play. Uh, Cliff Alexander was kind of forced into it. But I think some of those Kentucky guys and then a guy like Brandon Ashley uh, jumped into it too soon. I think another guy, J.P. Tokoto. Yeah. He could have come back for his senior year. Uh, really just known as a leaper. Uh, he can he can shoot the balls somewhat, but he's, he's best. streaky. He is. He he is streaky, and and you know maybe with the flow of the NBA, it's more suited for his style. Uh, but I I just don't think he can. He'll be as he could be as good if he went back for another year at North Carolina. I, I just don't get why guys who can come back choose not to choose not to. Especially, I mean, if you're going to be a lottery pick, if you're going to be a first-round pick, okay. You know, if, if you're going to be a lock for that. But if you're a guy like Brandon Ashley or you, you see Dakari Johnson, J.P. Tokato, even an, uh, uh, Oliver Hanlon, uh, Olivia Hanlon, what is it? Oliver, Oliver Hanlon Oliver, from yeah. Boston College. Yeah, Boston College. Uh, these names are coming back to me. I know, uh, right. It's nice. Um, why... Why leave when you can go back and improve your stock? Like a guy like Shabazz Napier, uh, just a, a recent example. He could have left after his junior year. He chose to stay, and he ended up being a first-round draft pick. So, I mean, it goes both ways sometimes. But uh, Draymond, Draymond Green, another one, just won a, an NBA uh, championship with the Warriors, four-year player for Michigan State, Michigan State and Tom Izzo. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I agree with that in terms of development. Um, I think it only... Yeah. And it's not like you're not playing for good coaches. And when you're told that you're going to be a second rounder, I think that's an automatic out, isn't it? I mean, yeah. there's, there's one thing about getting drafted in the NBA, but then there's one other, there's another part of uh, actually you know, playing on a team and right. playing significant I mean, minutes. A first, there's a huge difference between a first-round draft pick and a second-round draft yeah. pick. I mean, a second-round draft pick, you're not guaranteed anything. Uh, I mean, you could be second-round draft pick, and next thing you know, you're playing in Europe. Uh, so, yeah, I'd like to see some of these guys. I mean, there's always guys every year where you just shake your head and you wonder why. Why why leave? Ryan Boatwright, think he's going to get drafted? Uh, no. I don't either. Fortunately, the four-year guard at University of Connecticut, uh, neither of us haven't gotten drafted. Really, the, the, the scouts are saying he's just too small. I mean, that's what he's been – that's what his critics have said his entire life, but – uh, he funny thing today. Uh, he's or funny thing. He's listed at six foot one seventy five at UConn, but when he goes to the combine, does all the workouts, he's listed at five ten one seventy, uh, or one sixty. So significant difference there for uh for Ryan. Yeah, and you know, uh, he's gonna play in the summer league somewhere, um, but he I. I just don't know if he has what it takes to. Yeah, he has the heart, he has the desire, but I just don't know if. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of really good players who yep. don't make it to the NBA. He's a guy who could have a long, successful career overseas. Yeah. Which, and there's nothing wrong with that because nope. he can make some good money over there. You are listening to the Sports Brothers Podcast with Sam and Brian Dossler. More to come on this podcast is I will give out my confession score about Max Scherzer's no-hitter and, of course, Stump the Bro. And, Sam, today, when I woke up, right, it's Father's Day. Graham came over. We had some crepes with uh, – Mom and Dad, and uh, I was not expecting to get a phone call to play baseball, but I got the phone call from Matt Bossy, a friend of mine at Eastern that uh, just graduated from Eastern Connecticut, and uh, turns out I go to New York and uh, I pitched six innings today. How's the wing? It's, it's actually not too bad. Did I you think, ice? 
I did ice. <laughs> the funny thing you ended up. I love how you, the story you told me. Tell the story about uh, how you found out you were going. So uh, well, when I got there, uh, first of all, Matt Bossy told told me to meet me at a at a, com- at a community lot in next to Dunkin' Donuts in Thomaston. So I was like, all right. So get there and uh, wait a few minutes. Get in. Get in a. And not even his car, this other kid's car, who at that point I had, hadn't really known, uh, this kid Derek. And uh, Derek goes to me, he goes, you know, we have a doubleheader today. And I go, what? He goes, yeah, we have a doubleheader today. And he's like, do you know where this doubleheader is? And when, the way he said it, I was like, I'm guessing this isn't close by. So I go. We're not just heading to Muzzy Field here, yeah, are we? It was like uh, Massachusetts. And Bossy goes, nope, New York. And as he says New York, I see Dad driving away. And I'm just like, oh, God, I'm in for this now. Turns out we only played one game because we had to forfeit because we couldn't get there for the first game. But uh, it, w- it was still fun. I got to play baseball, got a hit, one for two, and a walk, uh, and a 2 nothing loss. And they scored two runs in the first inning on some infield singles. Tough. Tough loss. For the... You going to lose sleep over it? No. Right. I'll be fine. All right, so now let's head to back to the NBA very quickly, Sam. Uh, Dwayne Wade has mutual interest with the, with the Lakers, and his father was seen with the Cavs shirt at church today. Your quick thoughts. Um. Well, for some reason he thinks because he took a pay break with Miami to help him out in the past that he should be paid post-prime for what he was. He should be paid what he's worth and stop whining about it, first of all. Uh, second of all, I don't see why he'd go to Los Angeles. Um, there was a joke today where it said if he does go to uh, the Lakers, then the trainers would have, would need a pay raise would be with Kobe and Dwayne Wade all year. And uh, and their big guy down there, Julius Randle. Uh, the other two places I think would be good fits. Well, he'd also if he went to the Clippers, or he he wouldn't be the guy anymore. He's at that point where. He'd have to learn to be a a Paul Pierce type. Yeah, still, be, he's better than Paul Pierce is right now because he's still younger. Uh, but he wouldn't be the guy if he went to either of those places. He, <laughs> be interesting if he did end up in Cleveland though. That would be the Heat. They're preparing an offer to Goran Dragic, who was acquired from the Phoenix Suns at the uh, NBA trade deadline this past season. Five years, little little over eighty million dollars. Paul Pierce. He is 100% coming back this season. It's just a matter of where he's going to be playing. He's either going to be playing back in D.C. with the Wizards or with the Los Angeles Clippers and reunite with Doc Rivers in his home city. Well, you remember, he was him and Kevin Garnett were close to getting moved out there when uh, Doc Rivers first went there. That didn't happen. I bet he ends up in – what do you I, What do you think? I think he ends up with the Clippers. I thought he was going to be with the Clippers last year. I think that's the best move for him. They need that. They need that bench help. They already. They just got Stevenson's who we're going to talk. Lance Stevenson, who I think we're going to talk about a little right bit. Right now, just go for it. All right, Lance to. Stevenson, the trade. Why don't you recap the trade because you have it in front? Yeah, of you. Lance Stevenson acquired by the Clippers and the and uh, traded by the Hornets as Charlotte. They get Spencer Hawes and Matt Barnes. Uh, Stevenson, after averaging 13 points a game. In his last season with the Pacers in 2013-2014, just averaged eight points a game in 61 games with the Hornets. And saying this was, uh, it was a contract year for uh, Lance Stevenson his last year with the Pacers, and he gets that, you know, not big, not a huge a nice deal, deal, but a nice deal, three years, 27 million, and uh, he was only a headache for nine million uh, this past season. 
Yeah, I, you know, it's. I think he has to be part of an established team. He has to be part of something established. Charlotte's still building young players, uh, trying to find their way, while the Clippers, they're an established team. They have established veterans, Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan. Uh, these are guys that have been around the block. They know, I guess they don't know exactly what it takes to win, but... <laughs> um, but they they know what it takes to uh, to win basketball games, and they know what it's like to be in these situations. So that's the type of environment that Lance Stevenson yeah, has to be you in. You don't want Lance Stevenson being the head guy of your locker no. room. And maybe at times he was. I remember when he was going over to Charlotte, he was going to say he's going to. He wants to be a locker room guy. He wants to be a friendly guy, and, and that's what he actually he said uh, when after he got traded to Los Angeles. But uh, I think Kemba Walker is, is pretty pleased that Lance Stevenson is now out of Charlotte. Um, so now we're going to head to Brian's Confessions Corner. Buckle up, everybody. It is time for Brian's Confessions Corner. As everyone probably knows, Max Scherzer, he threw no hitter yesterday against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Well, technically not two days ago once you start listening to this. Uh, 6 nothing. Uh, in Washington, D.C., and his last two starts for Scherzer has been pretty dang good. 18 innings, one hit, no runs, one walk, one hits batsman, and 26 strikeouts. But, Sam, let's or let me rant, if you will, as a pitcher uh, about this the, the last play. It's a 2-2 count to Jose Tabada, right? It's, uh, Scherzer is one strike away from throwing a perfect game. Would have been the 26th perfect game in Major League Baseball history, and he was right there. Now, Tabata leaned into the pitch. I'm, he, my opinion, he leaned in the pitch, uh, just lowered his left shoulder, uh, elbow into the, into the batter's box, over the plate, hit his pad on his elbow and took first base. Now, this is there's, – there's many unspoken rules in the game of baseball in, this, in sports, especially baseball, uh, but it seems like that leaning into a pitch – in baseball, it's a spoken rule. It's in the rule book. I'll read you the rule in a second. It's there, but for some reason, umpires just aren't calling it all the time. I get it can be a gray area, and maybe sometimes it's more difficult to see it than others, but clearly, at this point, Tabata was clearly lunging over a little bit, leaning into that pitch to get on base, and here's the rule, the MLB rule book, uh, from, the, from, uh, the, from, from the actual rule book, uh, section 6.08b, a batter must a batter becomes a base runner and is awarded first base when he or his equipment is hit except for his bat. One, is touched by a – let me start over. Is touched by a pitch ball outside of the strike zone. That was, in, that was definitely inside the strike zone because he leaned towards the pitch. And he attempts to avoid it. Definitely did not. And he did not swing at the pitch. Okay, he didn't swing at the pitch. The ball was in the strike zone. And, and again, he did not try to avoid it. He leaned into it. Some unspoken rules in baseball, right? You don't, you don't talk to a pitcher when he's throwing no hitter uh, or a perfect game. Uh, you know, you don't bunt to, 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 to break up a, a, a no hitter, something like that. Uh, things like that. Those are unspoken rules about baseball. But, Sam, this is an issue where I think it might be a little magnified with Scherzer here because, again, this is one of those spoken rules, but seems like it's unspoken rules because I hope you agree with this with me because I think Tabata definitely leaned into that pitch. I, I agree, and um, 
It's like it's just one of those rules for some reason they don't enforce it. I've only seen it enforced one time, and that was in a game that wasn't even close to the significance of the Max Scherzer game. It was in an American Legion game I played in, uh, like 2009 now, I guess. Uh, Eric Zapaka on the mound. 2010, it would have been. You graduated in 2009. I could have still played Legion. Oh, I thought it was in like your last thing. Continue. No. Anyways. Eric's, no, it was definitely 2009. Eric Zapaka on the mound. And um, this little kid from Middletown on a curveball was crowding the plate already. He stuck his elbow out over the middle of the plate. The pitch was a strike. It was literally right down the middle. And uh, he got hit on the elbow with it. Um, so it's, that's the only time I've ever seen that enforced. They need to talk about that. They have to enforce it. They do. I mean, if, if he leans over the plate, he leans over the plate. I mean, he should have been called back, and he should have an opportunity to get the perfect game. It's a good thing he got the no-hitter still. Yeah, uh, If but, Josh boy. Harrison got on, I know what kind of devalues it, uh, but how about Scherzer getting just drenched in Hershey syrup after the game? That's probably – one of the worst things that you could probably get poured on you. I understand he probably didn't care at that moment because, you know, he, he said he was on cloud nine, right? He, he, he uh, after that win. I thought you were going to go in the direction of the following on the heels of a 16th strikeout performance. Oh, well, yeah, that was pretty good, too. <laughs> the, reading some things, I'm not a huge stat baseball geek guy, but uh, reading some different things, some people think that, those might be the best two back-to-back performances in Major League Baseball history. Yeah, I've heard that too. There was a, oh, I forget the name now, but someone threw uh, back-to-back no-hitters. Um, you don't I clearly don't. I forget who it is, but um, some it other. Was, it was well back in the day. Yeah, it was. Uh, some other baseball news very quickly. Then stump the bro, Sam A Rod, three thousandth hit on Friday. A solo shout off Justin Verlander. Yeah. Um, Good for him, right? No. No. I mean. Unfortunately, the the uh, the milestones keep coming for A Rod, and we keep talking about him. And I guess the famous ball hawker got the ball out there or something. Yeah, like eleven thousand. Yeah, I heard he's That's... he's not a joy to sit next to, I... as you can imagine. I guess yeah. he's not afraid to uh, create some space with the body. That would annoy me. Yeah, there was a video. I actually saw a video, and he was in. Uh, he goes through a lot of batting practices, and he literally just runs back and forth, hopping over seats. He's got his glove, right? I mean, yeah, he's dude. I know. I mean, I guess it's kind of cool that he got eleven thousand. He's like, oh, I guess I'm to charity, but I didn't think there's two. You know what was great? Did we talk about it? The Marlins fan was at the NBA Finals. I saw that. I saw that. I texted you that. Yeah, I know, like, but yeah, I don't know yeah, if we yeah, brought yeah. it up on the podcast. No, but no, that's kind of the Marlins guy. If you forget what the guy sitting behind the plate at all the World Series games in the bright orange. <laughs> I don't think Dad knew what I was talking about, but we were watching the game. I think it was Game Four in Cleveland, maybe, or was it Game Six? I think it was Game Six. He was there for the clinching game. Was it? Well, whatever it was, I was like, "Oh, the Marlins guy." Dad was just like, "What are you talking about?" Uh, the astronauts at the Lightning's game were pretty cool, too. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Two guys sitting in full-out astronaut gear. With that, let's do it. Stump the bro. It's time to stump the bro. I think, guys, it's finally time for stump the bro. I'm pretty tired. It's it's now 11.27. You're tired. I'm so much for my ice cream. I could still have ice cream. I'm a trooper. I'm taking a shower. 
I already took my shower. I would have taken one if we weren't watching the golf. Anyways, what is it? Three two you? It's three two me. All right. I'm hoping you haven't been paying attention to the TV because um, okay. I thought of this one before I started seeing it all over the TV. Who was the last golfer to win the first two majors of a season? This one's probably pretty easy. Tiger huh? Woods. Yeah, that was pretty easy. Did you see it? I literally, I literally saw it before we went on air. That was pretty easy. That was a dumb one. Um, I should have. That was a layup. That was yeah, a wide-open layup. I thought of that one as Spieth was going for the win. And then I kept seeing it on TV, and I was trying to watch your eyes to see if you had saw it. <laughs> and I was convinced that you might not have. And I also didn't have anything else in mind to go with. So I... Uh, All right, well, back in the spirit <sighs> of Max Scherzer's no-hitter, Sammy, struck out 10 guys in his no-hitter uh, the other day. Who holds the record for the most strikeouts in a no-hitter? Your choices are Tom Seaver, Nolan Ryan, Roger Clemens or Walter Johnson? In one single no-hitter? Yeah, in one game. Walter Johnson? Nope. Tom Seaver? Nope. Roger Clemens? Nope. <laughs> Is Nolan Ryan? Nolan Ryan. <laughs> I, think I, say, I guess he threw seven of them. I guess he should have. So does that mean I just went up like 7-2? <sighs> <seven> <laughs> Nolan Ryan, yeah, 17 strikeouts versus... I thought he'd be too obvious. That's why I went with it. 17 strikeouts versus the the Detroit Tigers on July 15th, 1973. That's when he was a California Angel. So look at that. I have taken a commanding 4-2 to two lead, Samuel Christopher Dostler. There you go. That's 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 a tidbit there. If you uh, listen all the way to this podcast, you get to hear uh, Sam's middle name. Should I tell him your middle name, too? Go for it. Brian Anthony Dostler, B-A-D, bad. bad. Used to hate it. I don't want to say hate it, but now I've just completely embraced it. All right, thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can listen to all of our podcasts off thenicoempire.com. We will have our next podcast uh, over the over the next weekend or so. Um, actually, it could be even a week now that I'm thinking about it. Uh, actually, maybe Friday. I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll let you know. We'll post it. And please, folks, give us feedback. Uh, text Sam, text myself, whatever, uh, because the only way we get better is if you tell us how bad or how good we ever prefer the criticism. That way, go for it, Sam. Thanks to Nate Brown interviewing us for the Plainville Citizen. Yes. We are not sure what week, hoping this week that we have a little uh, Plainville Citizen Sports Brother uh, article. How long did you talk to him for? 22 minutes and 16 seconds. I was seconds. on the phone with that kid for 35 minutes. Yeah, well, uh, actually, the funny thing was he said, because uh, your weakness for for radio is you're long-winded. and It happened a couple times today. Yeah, the opening, dude. I know. My but, God. But it was the U.S. Open. It just finished. I, I was... know. Like, my opening thing with, like, the highs and lows of life, then all of a sudden you just keep going on about this analyst. It's like, dude, it's you're supposed to be quick, quick I response. Know. You'd think I'd want to not talk after I just called my first three of 18 games oh in a row. Oh, my God. A tough life. you got to call baseball. My God. Yeah. There's worse things in life. Yeah. All right, well. You're probably done listening to this podcast anyways. Mic drop. Have a great weekend, folks.